0: I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I cannot wait to hear all of this. <laughs> this has been torture.
1: I'm it's been torture for me to not tell you absolutely everything <laughs> because you found a lot. I found so much. Okay. So today we're going to talk about Phoebe Handjack. And this one has been tormenting me for years since I first heard about it and I needed I needed to make it an episode. I had to do it. And you're going to flip out because I know you know a little bit. Yeah, just the I'm, basics. I'm going to tell you everything with my 12 pages of notes here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's going to be great. Uh-huh.
1: So I got all of my information from uh, from a couple different places. I listened to the Phoebe's Fall podcast, which I highly Highly recommend. There was a lot of stuff in there that I couldn't quite fit into this. They do in-person interviews with her family, with her friends. Uh, it's it's fantastic. I flew through it in like one afternoon, and it's like eight episodes, <laughs> and I listened to the whole thing, and it was great. So I highly recommend you go listen to that after this, you know. After this. <laughs> yes, <after>
0: this.
1: <laughs> and then I also um, I watched this uh, thing called uh, 60 Minutes Australia. And it's this thing called Under Investigation. It's the special that they did about Phoebe. And I got some information off of that. And I highly recommend watching that, too, because it was really interesting. Because the, uh, the people that were on it, there was Liz Hayes, who was the reporter. There was Phoebe's grandfather, who we're going to talk about a lot. And he's a retired detective sergeant. And uh, then there, uh, there was a former Supreme Court judge, a retired homicide detective, and an expert in coronial investigations, which I'm not t- quite sure what that means. But they were really, really interesting, and they had a lot of things to say about the whole thing. So I highly recommend watching that, too. You can find it on YouTube. And then there was the Phoebe Handsjack website, and then a couple of other sources that I will link in our show notes. <laughs> Phoebe Handsjack was born May 9th, 1986, in Australia. Okay, this whole thing takes place in Australia. Um, On the Phoebe Hansjack website, she's described as a wild child. Uh, She had a big imagination. She was physically active as a young girl and loved natural spaces, wild places, and especially the ocean, which is adorable. That is adorable. As a young woman, she was extremely sensitive, caring, and compassionate. She was artistically gifted and creative, strong-willed, and often quick-tempered, and had a cheeky, playful sense of humor. She felt things deeply and at times was prone to melancholy, which we're going to talk about a lot. Uh, Phoebe was loyal in many ways, and if she was your friend, you could always count on her to stand up for you. She was very protective of her family and loved her brothers. She had a very special, close relationship with her grandmother and confided in her often. Phoebe had plans for her future and a desire to travel overseas and do aid work in India. So she was, I know, she was just all around a really cool person. And when you look at pictures of her, she is stunningly beautiful.
0: She is. She's is she is so beautiful. pretty,
1: right? And I'm gonna I'm post some pictures of her. But she's so pretty, and everybody who talks about her just says she could walk into a room and boom, all eyes are on her. She did have she had some issues growing up. Um, her parents divorced when she was a teenager, and she started using drugs and alcohol when she was 14. Oh wow! Yeah, uh, she was partying with her friends, going out to clubs, and then she would come like come out of those clubs with like handfuls of drugs that people had just given to her. She was just a magnet for attention. Uh, Men found her very interesting and mysterious. And she had a tendency to fall for older guys, as we'll see. She ran away from home when she was 15. And she stayed away for eight weeks. And while she was gone, she was living with this couple and their new baby during that time. And the man had recently been released from prison. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And uh, Phoebe had to leave that place after, like, a domestic violence issue took place. I don't really know a lot about it, but she had to leave. And then when she was 16... She started dating a 30-year-old man Ugh. who was her teacher. That's
0: so gross.
1: He was her teacher. Uh, however, he quit his job at that school and moved to another school so that he wouldn't be her teacher anymore. And they were together for years. Wow. They okay. were together for a long time. He actually lived with her at her mom's house for, for a time. Wow. Like they, everyone says Mom- they had a very committed and loving relationship. Her mom, like, was cool with that then. Well, her mom has a 14-year age gap with her husband, with her, with Phoebe's dad. And then her grandmother has an 11-year age gap with her grandfather. Yeah. So they kind of, like, figure it was kind of, like, in their blood. and But they also say that Phoebe had kind of, like, an old soul. And that's kind of why she was attracted to older men. So, right. And so uh, she uh, dated him for a long time. And she even dated another old man. Or not old man.
0: <laughs> I mean, if she's 16, then, yeah, like... <laughs> Thirty was pretty old to me at 16. My I said old man, but I'm
1: 30. I'm about to be 30. I know. Um, She dated him for a long time. And then she dated another older man for a long time right after that. So she's, you know, she's, she's very into committed relationships. She's not like, it's not like she was flighty and was just dating these guys for a little while. Like she was committed to these relationships. Right. Um, By the time she was 24, which is the year that she passed. So, you know, we are talking about someone who passed away just so we know in advance. At 24 she was known to be very artistic and musical and she had all these notebooks that were full of like art and poetry very artistic very creative um, she was very physically fit very physically fit she used the gym at the apartments like two or three times a week she would walk the dog she would ride her bike a lot she would ride her bike to work and walk to work she liked to rock climb and camp and hike she was uh, taking karate And she would train for like hours and hours at a time. She had a friend at the gym that she would train with that was, uh, I think she was doing boxing or something. And they would be in there for like eight hours just training, like the whole time. And she was on a fast track to get a black belt in just two years. Wow. And that usually takes five. Right. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. So she was very fit, very active. Her friends have all these crazy stories to tell about her. Like um, they talk about how like when she would get drunk, she would like climb buildings and like jump the rooftops. (laughs) She was bananas, and then her friend Alicia tells this story. I can't remember if it was on the Phoebe's Fall podcast or on the website, but she tells the story about this time that she got Phoebe a job at McDonald's when they were like teenagers. And by day two, Phoebe was over it; like she didn't (laughs) want to be there anymore. But she didn't want to have to pay for the uniform, so she goes into the freezer, strips of the uniform, leaves it in the freezer. Runs out the back door and runs home in her underwear. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I know. (laughs) She was great. (laughs) I would love to have been her friend. Yeah, she
0: sounds awesome. (laughs) Uh,
1: She worked as a receptionist like three days a week. In the weeks leading to her death, though, her attendance was described as inconsistent. Uh, She was kind of struggling with money. She was widely known by her friends and family to have depression. Everybody knew that she had depression, that she struggled with depression, and that she was self-medicating with alcohol and with drugs, you know, along with her regular prescription medication. It, it's, it's said that the alcohol had a tendency to make her depression worse. Right. Um, yeah. And so in 2009, Phoebe meets Anthony Ant Hample. He is 43 years old and she is 24. Uh, he is a very well-known and awarded event promoter. He's kind of a big deal. He, he worked with very many famous people. Like I, they didn't, they made a whole list of names. Like Michael Jackson was in there, like is big names. Um, they met their own acquaintance. They dated for about six months before she moved in with him at the Valencia apartments in Melbourne, Australia. They dated for about 20 months total before she died, but their relationship is described by most people as being rocky. Their friends and family say that they obviously loved each other, but they fought a lot. They had a lot of problems. Uh, Most people were worried about their age difference. You know, her being 24, him being 43, they broke up often and she would leave the apartment that they shared together for a while before they would talk about it. And she would come back and they would kind of do this over and over again while she was dating aunt. I'm going to call him aunt for the rest. His name is Anthony Hample, but his, I'm going to call him aunt. That's usually what he went by Um, while they were dating. She fell for her art teacher. Uh, She apparently wrote him these emails, quote, demanding (laughs) that he have an affair with her. Okay. Uh, He accused her of stalking and she got kicked out of art school. Oh, no. Yeah. And I guess her and aunt kind of worked through this, you know, and they stayed together. I I don't really know the details about that. So Phoebe was seeking help for her depression and her substance abuse. Uh, She was seeing a a psychiatrist uh, named Peter Shrewren from from June 2008 until December 10th, 2009. And he diagnosed her with adjustment disorder with depression of moderate to severe change and early stages of borderline personality disorder. And uh, although she had mentioned feeling suicidal before, he did not believe that she would take her own life. And he actually believed that they had been making progress while they were together. And then after that, she started seeing a woman named Joanna Young, who was her psychiatrist until the end of her life. And uh, Phoebe saw her from February 2010 until her death uh, in um, December of 2010. She diagnosed Phoebe with major depressive disorder, social anxiety disorder, alcohol abuse, elements of borderline personality disorder, and cocaine and prescription drug misuse. Oh. So there was a lot going on there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's some things that I want to talk about uh, on the days leading up to uh, to her death. Okay, so on uh, November 29th, 2010, she meets with her therapist, Miss Young. She told Miss Young that she had been drinking for several days already, and she was not feeling good. She was feeling very low, uh, but was not feeling suicidal. She was just not she was not in a good headspace. You know, she talked a lot about how she never quite felt like an equal partner in her relationship with Aunt. And that she was very dependent on him. And I guess she kind of felt like she didn't really know how to get out of the relationship because she couldn't support herself and stuff like that. Right. Um, Aunt and Phoebe were planning a trip to go to Paris for the holidays. And she told her therapist that she wasn't really sure if she wanted to go with him. She mentioned stuff like, oh, you know, if we get in a fight, what if I get left behind? And, you know, what if he leaves me there? And I was like, dang. Right. In Paris? Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Later on that same night. Uh, Phoebe and aunt go and have dinner with one of their friends and uh, they have like this small little argument there. I guess she was trying to talk to the girl there and aunt kind of like shuts her down and they go home and uh, they have an argument about it. And he is arguing about how much she drinks. Apparently that was something that they argued about a lot was how much she drinks. And um, so they have that fight and then aunt goes to bed and he wakes up an hour later and Phoebe's gone. She's just not there. He called her phone 27 times between 1130 and 1230 and she kept hanging up on him. And when she finally did answer, uh, she said that she was with her friend named Brendan and would be back later. And her friend Brendan says that she got so upset that Aunt wouldn't stop calling her that she actually threw her phone into the, sh- into the street and, like, it broke. Not, like, to where it couldn't do anything, but, like, it cracked or something. Right. They do a bunch of drinking. They do some drugs. This is, like, one of her friends from, like, her party days. So she kind of – when she was in a bad mood. She, like, called this guy and they would hang out. And um, I guess at some point while visiting with him – This was in the coroner's report and which, by the way, I'm going to talk about the coroner's report. A coroner's report in Australia is not the same as a coroner's report in the United States. I guess this is like a coroner's report is like a whole investigation about the death. And the one that I read came out in like 2014, I think. So it was like several years later after this investigation had been like gone through. And uh, the autopsy is different from the coroner's report. So like the coroner's report talks about the autopsy, but it's not the actual autopsy. Right. Just to be clear. So in the coroner's report, it talks about how uh, while she was uh, hanging out with Brendan, she becomes very intoxicated and like volatile. And he has to like physically restrain her at one point, like hold her down because she's like losing it. I don't really know the details, but like he has to like physically hold her down. By all by all accounts, he didn't like hurt her or anything. He was just trying to like stop her from freaking out over something. Um she ends up going to her mother's house around like midnight, and she stays the night there. And she calls Aunt the next morning, which is now November thirtieth. So this is all just one day. <laughs> all that happened. That's so lot. <laughs> I know that's that's a long day. And she was already like in a weird headspace, you know. Uh, November thirtieth, uh, she uh, called Aunt. She said she was going to go to work, and she would come home after that. And then at some point during that day, she calls her therapist. Uh, she was drinking and said she was distressed about her relationship and that she felt unsafe. Not unsafe from her relationship but like unsafe from herself like in regards to not feeling like she could uh, be safe in regards to like being a danger to herself you know okay um she felt alone and helpless uh young talked to her on the phone for about 30 minutes tried to convince her to stop drinking but phoebe didn't want to do that um when they hung up phoebe was still feeling suicidal she said but she was uh more calm she wasn't quite so like manic Young had to hang up because she had to see other clients and asked Phoebe to go find a friend that she could be with until she was feeling better. Phoebe refused because she said she didn't want anyone to see her like that. Uh, Young gave her some numbers to some crisis helplines and encouraged her to go to the hospital before hanging up. She gets a lot of backlash for not attempting to contact anyone after that, like not trying to call, you know, a crisis center or a hospital or anybody that she knows to check on her. And she doesn't call her again after that at all.
0: Yeah, I think it's of at least it called handled.
1: back to yeah, exactly, yeah. But as far as I know, she didn't try to call, try to contact her again. Um, at some point during this day, Phoebe's job calls Aunt looking for her because she never showed up to work. She just didn't go in. Um, Aunt claims that when he got a hold of Phoebe again, she was very obviously intoxicated, and then she finally came home again at like twelve thirty a.m. on December first, so like midnight that night. So at uh, eight eleven a.m. Uh, the next morning, December 1st, uh, according to security rep- records of Ant's swipe card at eight eleven AM, Ant leaves for work again. He says that Phoebe is still asleep when he leaves. And next thing we know is that around 10 to 11 AM, Phoebe sends out this mass text message to a bunch of people from her iPhone. The one that was kind of broken. She sends it to like her mom, her grandma, she sends it to Aunt. she sends it to some other family members. She sends it to her boss and it's, it's weird. Okay. I'm gonna read I'm gonna read to you what it says because it's kind of it's kind of ominous a little bit. So it says, quote, Hi family, I am in bed about to sleep, and when I wake I will transform into the most incredible human being you've ever seen. Dot dot dot. Not. I will go to hospital. It's safer there, and I hear the special tonight is tomato soup. Delicious. Nutritious. I love you all very much, but not enough to say
0: <laughs> I'm trying not to laugh, but what?
1: <laughs> That's what it says! <laughs> Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. I love you all very much, but not enough to send an individual text. Sorry about that, but time is sleep and I must be on my way. Merrily, merrily, merrily. Life is but a dream. XO. She sends this to a bunch of people and people are concerned. I would obviously. be very concerned. Exactly so aunt gets a call from phoebe's grandmother after she gets this and she knows that phoebe had been drinking last night and that she had t- also taken ecstasy and she's like can you please just go home and check on her because this was weird yeah. can you please just go check and Aunt, when he got the text he just kind of thought it meant that she was feeling better which i don't really <laughs> <get>. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> do you bro that's fine but, you know men are idiots what do they know
0: i guess so yeah
1: <laughs> so he goes back to the apartment at like twelve forty in the afternoon And he stays there for about 10 minutes Uh, while he's there. Phoebe tells him that she had taken two of these sleeping pills called still They were prescribed to aunt, but she took two of them. And that was the first time he says he knew that she had ever actually taken those pills. But I guess she had done it before. Uh, It was something that she would kind of do sometimes. And she took two of those sleeping pills. And the primary ingredient in still is called zolpidum. And I guess there's kind of like some controversy around these pills. Uh, they're, they're not quite like they cause like things like sleepwalking and all this other stuff. We'll get into it. They had a housekeeper, uh, Shelly, who was in the apartment at the time and she was working. And she talked with Phoebe that day. She said that Phoebe seemed kind of sick, maybe hungover, and that she seemed friendly as usual. She did not seem depressed at all, you know, but again, she didn't like know her super well. Like she would come in and clean and she said Phoebe was always very nice to her and that she liked her. Um, so she, you know, asked her, okay, is there anything I can do? Do you need anything? And Phoebe was like, no, I'm good. And she went back to bed, you know, uh, when aunt leaves, like 10 minutes after he got there, he takes the still knocks pills with him so that she won't take any more of them. And he takes them with him when he leaves. Phoebe at some point in that day calls her dad and makes plans to have dinner with him the next day for his birthday. She also calls uh, her friend, Vanessa. Now, Vanessa, I'm going to actually mention a lot because she was aunt's friend er maybe still is aunt's friend for over 20 years at this time. She'd known him for a very long time. Uh, Phoebe met Vanessa through aunt and they very quickly became very good friends. They were very close. So she calls Vanessa and says that she feels bad about the fight that she had with aunt during dinner at their friend's house. And that she wants to jump off the balcony. Like, and she's Vanessa says that she said it like a joke. And that it was kind of like, Oh, ha ha. I want to jump off the balcony. And I'm like, ah, that's <laughs> kind of like, cause they lived on the 12th floor. Yeah, that's not, that's not good. That's concerning. Yeah. So Ant gets back from work and he brings the still knocks back with him, you know, and he, uh, he makes dinner for Phoebe and she kind of tries to apologize and he tells her not to worry about it. And, uh, she takes a bath, takes some vitamins and goes back to bed. Um, now December 2nd, 2010, uh, she's still asleep when Ant wakes up the next morning, according to him. He says that she was sleeping peacefully with the dog next to her and he didn't want to wake her up. And so at 8.13 a.m. Aunt, uh goes to the uh, gym apartments and then at 9.01 p.m. he or p.m. a.m. He uh, leaves to go to work. Now, the next thing we know about Phoebe is that at 11.42 a.m. a building fire alarm goes off and everybody exits the building. Right. Phoebe is on camera leaving the apartment. Like, going out the front door, she's got her purse over her shoulder, this big black bag. She's uh, got her dog on a leash. She's wearing sunglasses. She's got on a tank top, jeans, uh, flip-flops. And she walks outside, and then she's seen on camera uh, talking to some firefighters about what's going on. Uh, These firefighters, by the way, were never interviewed. We have no idea what they talked about. Nobody Uh bothered to ask. You know, that's fine and all. Eight minutes later. Uh, she's seen on camera going back into the building and her swipe card registers her getting in the elevator and going up to the 12th floor and she enters her apartment. Okay. That's all on record. Her swipe card is never used again that day. Not at any point. Okay. For the record, it never gets used again. Um, at noon, her computer, like rec, like there's records that there were some files created, like from a, from a, like a music program and like a photo editing program. So it seems like she was doing some stuff on the computer for a while. That is the last recorded action that we have of her that we know of, okay? At some point between that and 7 p.m., she leaves her apartment. Uh, She has no shoes on. She does not have her bag. She does not have her keys or her phone or her swipe card. But she has her sunglasses. And she goes out into the hall and enters the trash room. Uh, The way that this is, it's like it's got its own separate door. You can go in, and I guess there's, like, trash bins in there, and there's also... The trash chute. Uh, the trash chute is it's this thing that's, like, flush against the wall. And you can kind of pull it out, like, kind of like a drawer. But, it, like, it stays connected on the bottom. And then, like, the top pulls open. You know what I mean? Okay, yeah. She gets into it feet first and falls 12 stories down into the trash compactor. And ends up on the bottom level in the trash room. Okay, I'm going to get back to her in a minute. Um, but at 6.09 p.m., Ant gets back from work. For the record, because he has very good lawyers, he did not do it. <laughs> there is no there is no proof that he was involved at all, and I would like that to be on record in this podcast. I am not saying that he did it. Okay? Okay. Great. Ant gets home from work at 6.09 p.m. He uh, can't remember whether the door was locked or unlocked when he walked in. He comes in and he sees Phoebe's purse, wallet, swipe card, keys, sitting on the table. Her computer is on and her Gmail account is open. There are two glasses sitting on the table that smell like vodka. And there are these small drops of blood on the computer and the mouse. These tiny little drops. And it kind of looks like uh, like somebody's hand was bleeding and they touched it. Okay. He also finds what he calls a shrine in the bedroom. Which, I guess there were some candles lit, and there were these photos on the bed. One was, was of him and Phoebe, one was of Phoebe's cat, along with all these notes of, like, these ramblings that Phoebe writes when she's drunk, and I guess they don't really make sense to anybody. It wasn't, it didn't look like a suicide note, it was just these weird, you know, writings. Right, okay. Uh, so candles were burning, her hair straightener was plugged in and on. Oh. Like, she and, was uh, just coming, she was gonna come right back. Right. That's what it looks like. There was a small amount of broken glass on the floor in the hallway that, like, leads to the kitchen. And her dog had, like, ripped up a couch cushion and it was all over the floor. One thing that everybody says about Ant is that he is very, very tidy. Like, his apartment always looked like nobody lived there. And the the cleaner says that he liked things a a certain way. And when Phoebe moved in, she wasn't allowed to bring a bunch of her stuff in because he didn't like clutter. And her mom said that when you would walk into the apartment, you didn't see anything of Phoebe's like at all.
0: And yeah. because Phoebe
1: was, she was, she was clutter prone. You know, she was very artistic and creative. She had things strewn about all over the place, like notes and pictures and paintings and whatever. Uh, the only thing that you could see of her when you would go in were some pictures that were up that had her and Aunt in it. Like that was it. Right. Yeah. Which, you know, is weird to me. That hard. is weird. So Aunt is very tidy. I just wanted to bring that up. Yeah. Um, but between uh, 6.14 and 6.34 p.m., aunt goes through the computer and he says he was like looking for clues as to where she could have gone in the computer okay uh phoebe's father calls her iphone at 6 51 p.m to ask about their dinner plans she does not answer according to aunt he had taken her phone to the repair shop that morning okay because again she broke it right she had two phones she had that iphone and she had an old nokia phone and i guess she used that nokia to like store numbers Or something or like I guess of people that like are from her old life or something that you know people she didn't want to talk to a lot but she still kept the phone yeah so at 651 the dad calls her iPhone not even a minute later aunt calls her her dad okay supposedly that he doesn't have her phone as far as we know he doesn't have her phone according to him but less than a minute later he calls her dad she has never called her dad before ever for any reason Yeah.
0: (laughs) He just happens to call him.
1: He said it was a total coincidence.
0: Yeah, I'm sure it was. Yeah. We know (laughs) how we feel about those.
1: (laughs) We don't like those. So uh, less than a minute later, he calls and he says that um, Phoebe's not there. He doesn't know where she's at. All her stuff is there. He's worried about her. Um, 701, 739, and 740. There's more files created on the computer. I guess he's still going through the computer. Um, Ant says that he... Fed the dog, smoked, had a beer. He ordered enough food for one person from Phoebe's favorite Thai restaurant, which is the exact same restaurant that he and Phoebe were supposed to be going to with her father. Hmm. Uh-huh.
0: Very suspicious. Not that I'm saying he's suspicious, but that action <laughs> itself was suspicious.
1: It's weird. He He was supposed to go with Phoebe. Maybe he just thought that she had run off again and she wasn't coming. And he's like, oh, I'm hungry. We were already going to go here. Let me order food. Maybe. And she had already been
0: gone like
1: a couple nights before that. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. She She had been coming and going. Yeah. He does not clean up the broken glass, the blood on the computer, or the mess from the dog. That's for whatever. Right. For whatever reason, he doesn't touch it. The delivery man arrives with aunt's food and tells him that he had a lot of trouble getting in because there's a bunch of police downstairs. So oh we're gonna take a, we're gonna take a pause from him for a minute and we're gonna go downstairs what
0: I was processing I get it though <laughs> okay <laughs> it like, oh because they found our wire police downstairs is there like a whole other sh- no there's a video of- <laughs> I get it okay <laughs> okay
1: <laughs> so uh, downstairs uh, at 7 pm the concierge of the apartment building opens the door to the compactor room. Uh, to get a broom and she can't quite get the door open. She's like, oh, what's going on? So she pushes it a little and it won't come open and she looks in and there's a woman on the ground. Uh, She notifies the manager and she calls the police. At 7.20pm the police get there. They go into this trash room and they see a young woman on the floor of the compactor room and she's between a fallen trash bin and the wall, like right next to the door. Like you open it, she's to the right. There's a fallen trash bin, there's her, there's the wall. And in between her and the wall is her sunglasses. They're just kind of lying there. Uh, there are trails of blood and pools of blood on the floor. Uh, her pants are around her lower legs, they're pulled down. Oh, okay. And her foot is nearly severed. In the autopsy, it says it was hanging on by a tendon.
0: Ew. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. Oh. So
1: her foot was just completely chopped. Okay, um, you
0: went down feet first. I, you'll probably get to it. Why are her pants.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'll get there. Okay. No <laughs> I know she went down feet first. It's not like her pants rode up on That's the, the on I'm the trying. ride down. We'll get there. We'll get there. Don't worry about it. Um, first, I want to talk a little bit about this trash room to give you kind of a visual. So the door to this trash room automatically locks when the door closes. Um, you have to use a key to get in. Uh, the way that this trash compactor thing works is that there's uh, chute openings located on every floor. And the trash kind of goes in at an angle and then goes straight down this chute into a... Um, compactor compactor then empties the trash into this rotating carousel of five trash bins like the trash bin will fill and then it'll rotate to the next trash bin and that one will fill and it just kind of goes around like that Mm -hmm. uh when the police go in the machine is on automatic which means it's doing all of this without anybody messing with it Neil Bone, uh, I think he's either the manufacturer or like he owns the company uh, that uh, makes this trash compactor or something like that. And uh, he talks about the trash compactor. He says it functions like this. The trash passes through the chute and goes down before it hits this like 40 degree, 45 degree angle at the bottom. And it kind of slides into this compactor thing. And this activates a light sensor, which activates the compactor blade. I know. I know. It's a lot. This is going to get a little bit graphic. So, you know. Uh, The trash is compressed with a force of 3.3 tons in order to to form a plug that then gets cut and released into the rotating bins below. Oh, my gosh. When he first heard about this, he said there is no way she got out of that thing in one piece unless the machine was in manual mode. There is no way. That's what he said for a long time. And, um... Then she, they would have had to, like, turn it back on auto again and then just leave her there. And that's the only way it would have been found in auto mode with her not in much worse state than she was. Um, but then I think, why would somebody turn it off if they wanted to put her in there and they wanted her dead, which is weird? You know, why would they turn it off so that it wouldn't hurt her? But uh, after he runs some tests with the investigators, because he was after he heard about this, he was very interested in this case. He wanted to know how oh, it was God. possible. Yeah. yeah so he did a lot of help trying to figure out this compactor yeah he needs so, to uh, prevent it from happening again exactly right um so uh he ends up changing his statement after they do all these tests and he says that the most likely way for her to have escaped the compactor without more serious injury is that the unit believed that it was full and could not compress anything any further so just luck or the unit thought well it- the unit uh, i guess it like it only has so much strength in it, you know, and so it believes that it's full and it kind of like stops like, OK, I can't go any further than this. Okay. Uh, Neil Bone believes that the compactor uh, tried to compress and cut her twice before it let her go into the bin. I know that that's really hard to hear, but that's what he believes. You know, Oh my gosh, um, Shelley, the cleaner, the one who was in the apartment with her the day before, uh, she used that trash chute all the time to dispose of things. Right. Because She cleaned the apartment and she would use that thing all the time. And when she heard that this happened, she goes, that is not possible. That thing is tiny. It's tiny. There's no way she got in there. Like she was shocked. She didn't believe how it's possible. However, there's no argument that she did go into this shoot. There's no argument whatsoever. She did go into this shoot. Okay. Feet first. None of that is up for debate. So the paramedics arrive on scene at 727. There was no medical examination conducted by these paramedics to determine if she was still alive or not. They didn't see if she had a pulse or if she was warm or put a light in her eyes or even hold a mirror to see if she was breathing. You know, there was nothing done.
0: That doesn't make any sense. Why wouldn't
1: they check that? Well, this is why. The paramedics were stopped in the corridor by this older policeman. And he said words to the effect of, look, this is a crime scene. You can't go past here. Um, One of the paramedics, Miss Cook, said that they offered to put the monitor on Phoebe and he said no. Uh, She said uh, that she wasn't allowed into the ground floor trash room. And uh, although she could have like reached across and touched Phoebe, she was not allowed to do that. Um, She said that Phoebe looked blue, which can happen from either loss of oxygen or loss of blood. uh, And she was not breathing and that she appeared deceased. Uh, But again, she wasn't allowed to touch her. Uh, She gave evidence that while she couldn't see Phoebe's entire body at the time, she could see about 90% of it from where she was standing. So Sergeant Foster, which seems to be the one that stopped them, said that Phoebe looked deceased and that his observations were based on his 38 years experience as a police officer. He said that, uh, quote, Without the need to enter the room or touch the body, I had no reservations that the female was deceased. Um, Whether she was or not, if the paramedics had been able to undertake an examination of Phoebe, they could have narrowed down her time of death because her time of death is anywhere between noon and 7 p.m., which is basically useless. Because she wasn't examined on site, there's no way to tell for sure. And it would have been insanely helpful.
0: That's extremely frustrating.
1: Yeah. Why would um, they may have done that? Yeah. I don't know. They just they didn't, I guess, because um, because of what happened the next is uh, aunt makes his way downstairs after he hears that police were there and he tells them that his girlfriend is missing. She's been missing for he doesn't know how long, Uh, because he did attempt to call her several times throughout the day and she never answered. Uh, It says that he uh, called the house phone or her Nokia phone, either one, but uh, that she never answered. In Ant's official statement, he says to the police, quote, I believe that as a result of Phoebe's depression and alcohol abuse, she took her life tonight. He made that assumption immediately. Um, The police spend the rest of that investigation treating it as a suicide why wouldn't he
0: even if he thought that she had done it herself like i would automatically think like accident even though you can't accidentally get in their feet first mm-hmm. like if i saw just
1: saw her I would. he didn't see would, her oh he didn't he never what? he never wanted to be we'll get into that in a minute they just took his word for it and uh they're convinced that she walked up to that trash on the 12th floor climbed in and fell 12 floors down into the compactor like they're just convinced that that's what happened immediately immediately I guess at some point during the night, um, the building manager tells several officers that the security tapes are on this loop, and every two days they get recorded over, and he says if you want these, you need to get them now, because they take a while to download, and if you want them, you need to grab them. Uh, They did not attempt to collect any footage at the time.
0: Why wouldn't he just download them? I would just do it anyway.
1: Well, he... We'll get into him in a little bit. I'll talk Mm -hmm. about him more later. I know. (laughs) I promise I'll answer all your
0: questions. (laughs) Okay. okay. I have a lot already.
1: I know. I know. Um, So the police, they start their investigation, right? Forensic Officer Louise Brown. She is a very accomplished, very experienced officer. Uh, She assists in over... Has assisted at the time in over 300 cases of all types over multiple jurisdictions. Uh, She knows what she's doing. She's uh, the one that concluded that the bloodstains found... um, in the um, study room door of the apartment, because there was a bloodstain on one of the doorways in the apartment, along with the ones on the computer and the computer mouse, that the one on the doorway was consistent with the profile of Phoebe Hansjack. And there were stains uh, in the 12th floor trash room near the chute that appeared smeared. The bloodstains on the computer and the blood stains in the trash room were never tested. <laughs> that makes no sense. What? No. No, it doesn't.
0: What did they investigate? What
1: like? Uh, not a whole lot of anything, as you'll see. Uh, she uh, also observed Phoebe positioned between the wall and the fallen bin to the right of the doorway. Uh, the floor near her feet was heavily smeared with blood. Uh, there were numerous swipe marks and toe impressions. The clothing near the lower part of her body was soaked with blood. Um, she saw tissue transfer uh, on the opening of the chute blood and swipe stains inside the trash bin and on the bottom part of the door so what happened was she falls into this trash bin and she is awake and she knocks this trash bin over crawls out of the trash bin and uh immediately crawls around the room in a clockwise motion looking for an exit crawling out of this trash bin you could go left or right um she went to the right the door was to her left she crawled around the entire room before she finally found the door. There are blood impressions on the door. She did find the door. Oh my God. But she uh, died of blood loss before she could get out.
0: That's awful.
1: Yeah. It's a horrible, horrible way to go. Um, the police did not remove any computers or phones from the apartment that day, they didn't take anything. Nothing. Oh my God. And they said that they were worried about Ant's privacy. Because it was technically his computer that she also used.
0: She was just on the computer right before she died. That would be very critical information.
1: Yep. Oh my God. They were worried about his privacy. Okay. What? Uh, Man. um, There were those small pieces of broken glass on the floor in the hallway that were leading to the kitchen. The glass didn't have any blood on it, um, and there wasn't any evidence that there was any liquid in it when it was dropped. The police assumed that it came from a broken drinking glass. However, the glass was never discovered there were no tests done on the glass to determine if it matched any drinking glasses in the apartment they have no idea what this glass was from they never bothered to try to find out um they just assumed they just assumed drinking um, there was some kind of stain on the wall that they didn't know what it was from but the stain was never tested uh so they don't know where that substance on the wall came from they just they didn't try to find out the housekeeper shelly told police that there was a a a trash in the kitchen. There was one in the, in each of the bedrooms. There was one in the study. The only one that they searched through was the one in the kitchen. It's the only one that they looked at. <laughs> they didn't look through the trash at all, which is apparently like a basic necessity in an investigation. Like you look through the trash. Right. They only Did looked at the kitchen.
0: want to be at work that day or what? I, I, I don't know.
1: When police talked to the other people on the 12th floor, they didn't ask them uh, the last time they used the 12th floor trash room or uh, if they'd been in there anywhere between noon and 7. They didn't bother asking that at all. Yeah, just whatever. Let's just go say hi to these people and then leave. It's fine. Hey, we're investigating
0: this. Just thought you should know. We're done here.
1: Pretty much. Pretty much. What? Um, the two glasses on the table that smelled like alcohol were never dusted for prints and the contents oh were never tested. Seriously? They didn't do what? anything. <laughs> like, why are you even there? Right. Um at 940 p.m. She was found at seven. At nine forty p.m. The police are talking to, I think it's a receptionist, and they tell her, don't worry about it. It was suicide. What? Yeah. No part of that looks like a suicide. If you Not were gonna- even two hours after they found her, they had already decided that she had killed herself.
0: She had already talked about, joked about, jumping off the balcony. They didn't know that yet. Okay, but still, that would be a way more... Uh, obvious way of suicide why wouldn't she do that she
1: was on the 12th floor she could have easily she had so much medication in that apartment (laughs) i mean yes (laughs) we'll get into that don't you worry about it yeah (laughs) so they did nothing um aunt uh again claims he had taken her phone in for repair on the morning of uh december 1st but then she couldn't have sent that text out so the police just kind of figure oh no she must have taken it in on the second um, there's no proof whatsoever when he took the phone in. Uh, the iPhone was given to police on December 7th by Aunt's father. He took it into the police station. There's no record of when the phone was actually dropped off, but the police got it on the 7th. He, he can't ask the store owners who... The store owners don't remember. Of course not. The <laughs> store um, owner do not remember or he doesn't remember? The store owner doesn't remember. Okay, that's he hard. He believed that he dropped it off on the 1st, but she did send out that text message... And then we do know that she was alive at noon that day when she, when the fire alarm went off, she's on camera. So it's just kind of uh, assumed that he actually dropped it off on the second, but we have no proof of when he dropped it off. Uh, Phoebe's iPhone, when they, when the police got it, had several messages on it from December 2nd. Her friend, Vanessa texted her at uh, about 2 PM. Remember the one who knew aunt for a long time, that Vanessa right. texted her at 2 PM. Uh, her friend, Sarah uh, texted her at 4 uh, 30 PM because they had plans to hang out that day. And, and Sarah had to cancel. Um, and uh, Phoebe's mother texted her at 8.16 p.m. When the police got this phone, all those messages had been open and read, but they don't know by who or when. Aunt says that he didn't do it, but, you know, I don't know. Uh, Phoebe's iPhone and SIM card were returned to Aunt just three days later.
0: Not enough time to go through everything.
1: Yeah, no, it's not. When uh, Phoebe's family uh, finally got access to Phoebe's computer, they say that all of her outgoing emails had been erased.
0: Oh, that's great
1: yeah yeah i would be
0: so mad if i was her family how infuriating yeah. creating
1: there was this little interesting fact that i came across in um one of the coroner's reports or maybe it was the assistant coroner's report um on uh october 19th 2010 so uh, a few weeks before this happened uh there was a file on the computer uh that was called application for release of body under coroner's act uh-huh uh Uh, aunt says that he doesn't know how that got there phoebe uses that computer too
0: okay (laughs) why would she have she wouldn't have had any reason to look that up
1: Uh, uh, i don't know it's just it's just weird just came out of nowhere so weird don't know where that came from okay yeah Yeah. so now i want to talk about phoebe's actual autopsy um dr matthew lynch conducted phoebe's autopsy at noon on december 3rd so the next day at noon um external findings uh she had uh scattered abrasions on her forehead uh abrasions over her left ear with bruising small bruise on the front of her neck small round bruise on the front of her neck okay that's very specific uh linear abrasions on her right chest wall multiple linear abrasions on her lower back that he said were covered in dirt um, she had a lot of abrasions and bruising and injuries to her abdomen, hip, hip, and like pubic area, like you know that whole like midsection. Um, abrasions on her back, right shoulder. Her arms, hands, wrists, and shoulders were bruised and scratched. She had a uh, small circular bruises on her right arm. What would make those? I uh. don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, extensive bruising abrasions and lacerations on both legs her right foot was again almost completely amputated at the ankle attached only by a tendon oh, uh, that internally one. she had a blood alcohol level of 0.16 oh that's a lot yeah it is it's i think it's like two or three times the the legal limit Yeah, she also had the Zolpidum in her system uh, as detected at 0.2, which they say is like a normal dose. She didn't take a bunch of it. She took like a normal dose of this sleeping medicine. Uh, There was also uh, drugs used for muscle cramps and malaria found in her system, which was weird. It was just a weird thing, Uh, along with her antidepressants and some cough medicine. Uh, the autopsy also talks about how mixing zolpidum and alcohol can have very negative side effects like dizziness, confusion, difficulty concentrating, impaired cognition, loss of physical coordination, <coughs> Okay. impaired judgment, drowsiness, and sometimes sleepwalking. When people sleepwalk, they generally do things that they do all the time. It's like a muscle memory thing. Okay, yeah. I don't think she's ever climbed into a trash chute before, <laughs> as far as I know. but. There were no noted injuries consistent with self-defense, but the doctor admits that uh, she could have been incapacitated due to the effects of the drugs and alcohol. He cannot exclude the possibility of third-party involvement. Uh, He states that the small bruise uh, on her neck and the ones on her arm or lower back could be consistent with being gripped by someone. But not specifically being gripped by someone. It just could be. Not that he's saying it happened. He's just saying they could be consistent with that. What else would it be caused by? just bruises you know she did fall down a trash chute you know she could throw a lot but i'm just saying i don't know i don't know he said that she would have bled out within five to ten minutes with that injury to her foot five to ten minutes That's so sad i know it would have been very quick so phoebe's belt was unbuckled and her pants were around her lower legs uh nobody really knows why there are no signs of sexual assault none whatsoever okay the um uh, forensic biologist, uh, Miss Brown, she stated that the belt was likely removed by Phoebe. And uh, she was attempting to remove her pants either to try to move around the room better on the floor or okay. to try to, like, stem the blood loss in her leg. You know, maybe trying to, like, tie mm-hmm. the pants around her foot or whatever. Uh, but it either became too painful or she lost consciousness due to the blood loss. So okay. there's really no telling why it was like that. Uh, they do not think that her pants were around her ankles when she went in the chute.
0: Okay, so after,
1: yeah, because uh, not only would it have been impossible for her to climb into it like that, but um, they also like they don't think that it kind of fell out because she did go through feet first. How do they know for sure she
0: went down feet? Was there like a
1: trail of blood down the chute? Like no, they they, they didn't really look in the chute. I don't think like that. Um, but I think because she hadn't hit her head. And, like, her upper body didn't have quite so much injury as her lower body. They're saying that she went through feet first. Okay.
0: Because you know? okay. she
1: did fall 12 stories, and then she hits this 45-degree angle inside right. the chute. So it's likely that she wasn't head first. Right. That makes sense. Know? So I want to talk a little bit about the security system that's used at the hotel. Uh, a person needed a swipe card to enter the apartment complex through the front, through the front door or the car park. Uh, without a swipe card you would either have to wait for someone else to open the door and kind of follow them in you know kind of like when you uh like you're at a gate in your in a car and like someone opens it in front of you and you just kind of go behind them or you can be like buzzed in by someone and both of these things the cards and the buzz-ins are recorded in the security system uh however the cctv footage uh revealed that during the morning fire alarm The front entry doors and the glass doors of the lobby were open for approximately 17 minutes and numerous people walked in and out of the building, just in and out. Uh, Some cases repeatedly going in and out without using swipe cards or any record being taken of their identity. Okay. During the investigation, after they found Phoebe, Ant's family was able to just walk into the building and go up to his apartment Mm -hmm. at 8.46 p.m. without it being registered anywhere. There's no, nobody really knows how they got in. Uh, Detective Haley stated, uh, quote, I found out that they'd actually entered from the car park directly into the lift and came directly up. I was actually inside the apartment when they just came in through the front door. Uh, The swipe log did not record their entry or or their ride up the elevator. Now, it says that a person could not have walked up the fire escape and gotten onto the 12th floor, like the doors locked. But if you had propped the door open beforehand, you could just walk in and it wouldn't record anything. Right. But you can uh, leave the 12th floor and go down the fire escape without using a key or a swipe card. Normally, a person going down the fire escape towards the ground floor would not have been able to exit at the bottom because there's a locked gate. However, a fire alarm had the effect of triggering the gate to open up. There were, uh, however, multiple people with like master keys and maintenance keys that were recorded on the 12th floor throughout the day. But there are no cameras on that floor. Oh, of course not. Mr. Guillermo, the building manager, was asked what he thought about the police not being quick to collect the CCTV footage. And he said, quote, I would have thought that given the circumstances, very unusual circumstances, I would have thought the police would have sealed my office and said, nobody touch that equipment. We're going to grab it. We're going to grab it because we need everything we can. This is too important to lose any of the information, end quote. Uh, But he said that if you wanted to, you could have just taken the DVR away. Like you could have just unplugged it and taken the whole thing with you. But they didn't do that. Wow. Mr. Guillermo uh, contacted an independent company to download the footage at his own expense because he he was going to try. He did. Uh, He was able to get like three or four out of the eighteen cameras before things were recorded over. So he's pretty much the reason they have anything at all. Uh, The police for him. I know, right? Police didn't try to get any more footage until eighteen months later. That is insane. It was way too late by then, obviously, but you know they tried. (laughs) They yeah. Good job. <laughs> I feel like these are the kind of guys that got participation trophies a lot when they were kids, you know, <laughs> so real. There, you get an award. Good
0: job. You showed up. You didn't um, do anything,
1: but you showed up. Thank you. Uh, so now I want to talk a little bit about Anthony Hample. Multiple witnesses saw or spoke to Anthony that day at work uh, throughout the day. Uh, There were some little gaps uh, in his phone usage. Uh, There was like a 45 minute gap uh, from 1142 to 1225, uh, from 1257 to 138, like 41 minutes. And then another 32 minute gap uh, from 356 to 428. It took like eight to 13 minutes to travel from his work to the apartment complex. Um, It's also noted that he was alone over his lunch break, which was like 30 minutes to an hour around like noon or one. Not saying he did it. I'm just saying we don't quite know where he was that that time. He did call her her Nokia phone at eleven forty-four, one thirty-nine, and two thirty one. The Nokia phone has never been found. Oh. And I guess at one point during the investigation, he referred to Phoebe as his flatmate, not his girlfriend. Oh, no. Yeah, and that kind of rubbed her family the wrong way for obvious <laughs> reasons. It's not cool. Again, I'm not saying he did anything. I'm not saying it just saying you're weird dude yep detective justin o'brien was asked to uh remain with Aunt with uh with Aunt from 905 to 958 that evening detective o'brien gave evidence about his observations of Aunt that evening uh, he said that ant was wailing and crying hysterically and he believed that some of his comments were made for the benefit of others in the room during this time Aunt continued to cry i observed there were no tears running down his face nor did it appear that there had been any at all. He was sniffling and yet there was no sign of mucus or snot coming from his nose. Uh, his eyes were not bloodshot or red and his face appeared quite normal. He also referred to him as laughing nervously and offering to type up his sta- his statement uh, because it might be faster than just talking about it. What? Yeah. Uh, however, there's another officer that was there the same night that says he didn't find his behavior weird at all. He said that he was obviously distressed and he didn't think he was acting weird.
0: So well, it could go either way. We he wasn't um, the one who, you know, didn't get any other information from anything or anyone else. Cause...
1: Yeah, yeah, you know, it is what it is. Okay. Uh, So the the friend Vanessa, the one who'd known him for a long time, she was asked about her observations of him in the days after Phoebe's death. She described his behavior as unusual. She said, quote, he would have moments of what appeared to be normality and be on Facebook on his computer and checking his work emails. Uh, There were over 100 people who visited him within this week. It appeared to me that he was lapping up this attention. He would then, as persons arrive, go back to lying on the couch in the fetal position, holding a cushion, and bracing himself. Uh, Either Monday or Tuesday of the following week, I was at his apartment, and the intercom went. He was at the dining table on his laptop, checking emails and Facebook. I went to the intercom, and and he asked, who is it? I told him it was Thomas Hansjack, which is Phoebe's father, and he slowly walked back to the couch and grabbed a pillow and commenced crying it seemed to me that he was turning his emotions on and off. Yeah. She's known him for like... a long time and she says that. Yeah. And when he's asked about this, he admits that he was acting weird. He says, yeah, I was acting weird. I was in a state of shock. I don't know what I was doing. I would, I would cry sometimes I wouldn't. He says that he thinks it's, it's completely normal. Would it interest you to know that he is the, the son of former Supreme Court Judge George Hample and the stepson of County Court Judge Felicity Hample? oh okay interesting that's very interesting (laughs) they were so worried about his privacy i mean yeah yeah, he was distressed obviously
0: obviously yeah Yeah.
1: that makes just a lot of sense okay yeah puts a little puts a little bit of a a picture on it doesn't it It does i'm not saying he did anything so phoebe's grandfather lauren campbell he's a huge advocate for her case and he's a former detective sergeant um, he's the one who was on that 60 Minutes Australia thing that I watched. He's great. I like him. He physically goes to the apartment and he inspects the trash chute that she went down. I want to talk about this trash chute. It is a 20-inch trash chute, 40 inches off the ground. Okay. okay. Uh, it's made of brushed steel, very small. Again, it you pull it out and like the bottom stays connected to the wall and the top opens up and you put the trash in and you close it and it falls in, right? Um. Phoebe was like 5'6 or so and she's like 125 pounds. Two of Phoebe's friends, and this he he records this whole thing, right? He gets two of Phoebe's friends, and he puts a safety harness on them, and he tries to see if they can physically climb into this trash chute. Okay? Yeah, very smart. That should have been done by someone. Right, the police much, never right? did that. The police what? never even bothered to try and see if it was possible. They, You can watch this online. There's several tests done of this, because he does the one at the uh, actual trash chute that she used, and then he makes this, like, recreation, and they do it on that. And then 60 Minutes Australia... Does it with uh, another uh, scale model that they built. So there's a lot of videos out there about this, right? Mm-hmm. The first one that he did. Uh, when you watch these, uh, you there's nothing to hold on to when you open this trash chute. You open it up, and that is literally the only thing. It's this flat surface on a flat wall. There's nothing there. So you open up the trash chute, and like you have to like lift your leg all the way up to like above your hip and put your foot in, and then you have to kind of like haul yourself up while still holding on to the door, and kind of like figure out a way to get your other foot in there with nothing to hold on to except for this tiny little trash chute door, okay? Your hands are all over the place trying to grab onto the wall, grabbing the inside of the chute, grabbing the outside of it, grabbing the right. you know, the the wall like next to it, trying to pull yourself in. It's doable, okay? I'm not going to say that it's not doable, but it's very, very difficult. And like your hands are literally all over the place. Um, when the When they did it on 60 Minutes Australia, the girl like put all of her weight onto this door and the door literally broke off. And they had to like help, like they had to pull her out cause her legs got stuck <laughs> and they had to like pull her out and like put it back together and have her try again. Oh wow. And, uh, so they, they do that and they're kind of able to get in there, but they couldn't like go all the way down obviously cause they're on the 12th floor. And so they pull them out and, uh, and the grandfather, Phoebe's grandfather, they build this other scale model because they want to see like, even though they can get their legs in, they want to see if they can actually get all the way through. And so when they build this thing, uh, They get they can like get their hips into it. Right. And then by the time you get to your chest, you can't go in with your arms inside. Okay, it's too tiny. It's too tight. You have to lift your arms up above your head and slide in that way. This door automatically closes on its own. It does not stay open. So once you start getting to like your elbows, it starts closing in on you. Right? Okay, yeah. Like, uh, they have to, most of the time in these tests, they kind of have to have someone like holding it open a little bit to yeah. get these people to like go in. Otherwise, it's going to like like squish their arms. This thing right. is heavy. It's a heavy door. Yeah. And like So they, they can't really do it all the way by themselves. It's doable, again, but it's very, very difficult. And she was intoxicated. She was severely intoxicated and on cough medicine and sleeping medication and who knows what else. Like she was on a lot of medication. They're saying that it is highly unlikely that she could have done this on her own. Right. So then in all of these tests that they do, uh, after they get in there on their own and they're able to kind of do it, they also do another test where uh, a grown man will pick these women up and have them kind of pretend to be unconscious. And they just hold it open with one hand and stick their feet in and slide them right through. It takes like 10 seconds. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's okay. very easy. In the in the te- in the reconstruction test that the grandfather did, he gets the girl like halfway in. He's like, we don't even need to go any further. I can get her in from here. This is totally doable. Wow. Like We don't even need to continue. Also, it should be known that Phoebe was very claustrophobic.
0: Clearly, that's how she would choose to die. Exactly. commit suicide. That makes a lot of sense, okay? Right.
1: Also, for the record, the chute door was tested for fingerprints. None were found.
0: Okay, but... You- If she would have put her hands all over it. You have to grab onto
1: every single part of this door and the wall. Your hands are everywhere trying to climb into this thing. Okay, there is nothing to hold on to. You're gripping to anything that you can. And there were no fingerprints found. So the excuse that they use for not finding any fingerprints is that the brushed steel that this thing is made out of is not easy to get prints off of. Which I'm like, uh, 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 you know, You you at least could have had something. And I guess all they found was like smudges. But then they also say, like, um, if her hands were as gripping this thing as tightly as she might have been, that it would have smudged all the fingerprints, you know, whatever. Or somebody cleaned it. Just saying. Well, yeah. Professor Naren, uh Gunja, a uh, clinical and forensic toxicologist, she made this report and it says, quote, the issue of acute and long term tolerance of ethanol makes definitive judgment on the ability to enter the garbage chute with a blood alcohol content of 0.16% difficult. However, add the effect of zolpidum with ethanol, and it's likely to have significantly impaired, though not entirely preclude Phoebe's ability to physically enter the chute unassisted. So that's kind of where they, they like, it's very unlikely. Is it impossible? No, it's not impossible. Is it highly unlikely? It is highly unlikely. So the coroner report, uh, again, it's not an autopsy. It's this whole big investigation. And at the end of it, he has this kind of um, basic finding that he puts in. Basically comes down to this. He says that Phoebe dropped a glass in the apartment and cuts herself attempting to pick it up, causing the blood around the apartment. Okay. She just goes around touching stuff. Okay. Uh, She later leaves behind her shoes, keys, purse, dog, lit candles, and goes to the trash room to throw away this broken glass. But a bunch of it was still on the floor, but that's fine.
0: Okay, why would Um, she just throw it in her trash can and then uh, uh, wait for the trash to go to the trash? chute? Maybe
1: she did throw some of it in her trash can, but they didn't search them all. So I don't know.
0: Right. That's true.
1: (laughs) In a sleepwalking state, she climbed into the chute feet first. And it says, quote, Phoebe's long term enthusiasm for climbing and penchant for undertaking physical activity was a factor in this event. Okay, I'm
0: pretty sure she didn't never climb into something she had to hold open herself while she's trying to climb into. If she's rock climbing or something, that's yeah. climbing up. I,
1: didn't, I, I mean, not- I, I literally wrote insert eye roll here. <laughs>
0: yeah, that makes no sense. I don't get that
1: at all. It doesn't. Then he says she moved down the chute at first by pressing her arms and legs into the walls of the chute, attempting to control her fall. Now, the reason he says this is because he thinks that her injuries were not consistent with a 12 story fall and that she must have tried to like slow herself down. And that's what causes all these injuries all over her arms and legs and stuff
0: okay yeah
1: but the coroner doesn't really think that's the case he's like no her injuries were very severe like she had very severe injuries i don't think that she tried to slow her fall down i don't see any evidence of that but you know uh since she was alive when she reached the ground floor it stands to reason that she was awake when she went into the chute
0: okay didn't it like try to close on her like twice or try to do the compact yeah that's what they that's what the guy who who works on the compactor says sorry what that what that might have woken her up if she was unconscious when she went in. Right, exactly. Like that at least would have woken there, her up. Or maybe. the fall
1: could have woken the fall, her up.
0: exactly. Right. Like,
1: he also notes in this that uh, an overdose of sleeping pills was readily available to her and would have been a more reasonable option should she have chosen to end her life that day. So he does concede to that. And then he says, once she fell into the bin, she knocked it over and crawled in a clockwise direction, seeking an exit in the darkness. This room was pitch black, by the way, when she got in there. She couldn't see anything. That's so awful. I know. So that's kind of what he ends up with. He's like, this is what happened. There's also always an assisting coroner who makes their own report. And hers is very different. Oh. And apparently it's not common for the coroner to disagree with the assisting coroner. This is not something that happens a lot. However, her report is like completely opposite. Um, This is what what she kind of said. She said that the family stated that she was planning on going back to school. She had emails in her account uh, replying about about job positions that she had applied to. Uh, she had a lot of events coming up that she was looking forward to. Um, right, the next day, right? Right, exactly. Uh, the following day, December 3rd, was her brother's 18th birthday party. And uh, Phoebe planned to visit her mother on the 2nd of December to help with preparations for that party. But she never, she never made it. Uh, her grandmother, again, who she is very close to,
0: yeah. uh, was
1: due to arrive uh, in Melbourne on December 2nd which is the day that she died. So it's, you know. Yeah. Uh, Victoria, her friend, uh, the one who was friends with Aunt for a long time, uh, her birthday lunch was in mid-December and Phoebe was supposed to help organize it. She was making a film for Victoria's son's bar mitzvah that she was really excited about, along with her plans to go to Paris with Aunt. So she had a lot of things that she was planning for. Mm-hmm. Um, she was also an avid writer, but there was no suicide note.
0: Yeah, right. That's right. true.
1: Uh, She then says, quote, Moreover, if Phoebe were minded to take her life, why would she choose to do so in such an unusual way? Why would a person who is intent on taking their life bother to leave the building for a fire alarm? Then she says, uh, there was evidence that raised the question to whether Phoebe's death was caused by third-party involvement. Evidence included uh, bruises on Phoebe's body, presence of blood, broken glass, and a scattered cushion stuffing in the apartment, the difficulty physically entering the chute, the absence of fingerprints or blood on the chute entry hatch, and then she mentions DNA from another person in the ground in the ground floor trash room, which I don't really know anything about. I don't know if that was ever tested or not. There was a, there was also like blood found like in an elevator and like in the in the parking garage, but they ended up testing that and it actually belonged to um, like this worker that was uh, building a cabinet in the basement and like he had cut himself and like gone up the elevator or something like yeah. that. So it wasn't it had nothing to do with her. So uh, Aunt did not want to uh, be part of identifying Phoebe's body. He wanted no part in it. He left that to her family. Wow. Yeah. Uh, yet he still applied to be Phoebe's next of kin. Okay. Uh, this was somehow approved. Uh, what? But, yeah. But. They weren't married, were they? No. No. no they were only together for like 20 months. That is crazy. Yeah. Uh, and, but he released her body back to her parents. He didn't want it. Okay. Aunt had very little interest in meeting with Phoebe's family after her death. Uh, He claimed he was just too upset.
0: That's a load of crap. No. uh,
1: Well, you know. One time her parents actually went over to his apartment to talk about things. And they get there and there's a bunch of his friends there. And they uh, tell her parents that he's in the back room having hypnotic therapy and couldn't see them. What? (laughs) Yeah. He had a bunch of people over and he was having hypnotherapy in the back because he was just so upset he needed hypnotic therapy. Okay. A few days after her death, before the investigation is even over, Aunt makes a Facebook post uh, saying that his girlfriend had taken her own life. Oh my god, dude! Yeah, yeah. Uh, Aunt and Phoebe's family they had separate funeral services for her. <laughs> you
0: couldn't even get allowed or be allowed to do that. I mean, I guess you can do whatever you want, yeah. but uh,
1: well, he—he uh, he, it's not like her body was at his funeral service. He had That's his at a yacht club.
0: Okay, so he wanted
1: to just kind of have a party, I guess. I I don't know. Uh, He did not go to her cremation or the spreading of her ashes. He didn't go. After the official coroner's report comes out, Aunt applies for her death benefit. Okay. He ends up being given $113,000. The family was pissed.
0: Yeah, I would be too. That's ridiculous. Yeah.
1: So after a lot of arguing, uh, he ends up giving the money to her brothers. So he didn't keep it.
0: Well, yeah, he shouldn't have kept it. No, he shouldn't have even
1: applied for it in my opinion, but whatever. Yeah, Um, he shouldn't have. So when Phoebe's family uh, petitions for an inquest to have the evidence re-examined, Ant didn't want it. He never really explains why, but he's very opposed. Um, maybe he just wanted to get over it. I don't know. Okay, yeah. We know of two other trash chute deaths that have happened. Uh, they were both in Baltimore, Maryland in the U.S., not in Australia. Uh, they happened in 2010 and 2011, so very close to when Phoebe's happened, which is weird. They both occurred in the same apartment building as each other right they were like oh, 18 wow. months apart so there's there's a lot of controversy around those but i'm not going to get into that um some people say it was an accident some people say it wasn't uh but one of them they were both men by the way none of them were women oh, okay. and one of them even had stillnox and alcohol in their system wow really yeah it's crazy both of them went in head first not feet first head first is way more understandable yeah right so that's kind of the only other time we know about that kind of stuff happening. Phoebe's father is a psychiatrist and in the Phoebe's Fall podcast, you know, he says a lot of things that are very psychiatrist like, you know, kind of <laughs> like little bit of eye roll things in my opinion. But he did say uh, this one thing that kind of really stuck with me that I liked a lot and I kind of wanted to end her story with uh, something that he said. So he says, quote, one of the challenges of life is to feel the turbulence and just hold on and gradually it sorts itself out. And this is how he explains that. So kind of stay with me. It starts out a little weird. He goes, I've always body surfed. There will be two days in the summer uh, where a two meter wave will come through. If you get dumped on one of those, if you panic, you're in trouble. But all you have to do is tuck up, hold your breath, wait till it settles, and then you float to the surface and take a breath. It's a matter of how you manage turbulence, not that it exists. I love that. Right? That's I like that. Yeah, it stuck with me a little bit. Um, so that seems like the end of the story, right? Yeah. it uh, was wrong. Okay. <laughs> um, okay, wrong. Wrong. Uh, I want to tell you about uh, Bailey Schneider.
0: Okay? Bailey
1: Schneider. Okay. Um, Bailey Schneider was a young model and slash dental assistant. Uh, she was 25 when she was found on June 23rd, 2018. Uh, she was found unconscious at her parents house uh with a, this gold cord was really tightly tied around her neck there was no forced entry in her house and it's believed that she killed herself it was ruled as a suicide it was weird because there wasn't really anything around her to hang herself on and she was found right. on the floor weird. so yeah it was weird her boyfriend's name might sound familiar anthony hample Shut up. <laughs> Seriously? <Yeah>. Okay. <laughs> familiar. Seems, seems familiar. Um, yeah. So okay. when when uh, Bailey's parents left to go to the store, their daughter was curled up on the couch in the living room with the family dog. Phoebe was laying in bed with her dog, but you That's know, she weird. was, yeah. So she was laying uh on the couch with her dog, uh, talking on the phone. She was talking to her boyfriend. Uh, she had gone to this barbecue with aunt the night before and was upset because they had had a fight. Sounds familiar, but whatever. Phone records show that they had been in extensive contact in the hours before Bailey's death. Uh, she told her parents that they had just broken up. He's 51 at the time. Girl. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, whatever you do you. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, when her parents came back, she was lying unconscious on the kitchen floor. Uh, her head was uncomfortably, uncomfortably placed into the skirting boards near a corner cupboard. Around her neck was a cord from her bedroom. I think it was like a telephone cord or something. I'm not really sure exactly. Some kind of cord. And she just uh, wrapped it around her own neck. Well, I guess the theory is like she tied it to one of the drawers and like leaned into it, which I uh, 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 okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was apparent that she had poured a glass of wine and smoked a cigarette while her parents were out and her Bluetooth speaker was out. It looks like it had been used. Toxicology showed that she was three times the legal, legal driving limit. Again, sounds familiar and had traces of cocaine in her system. A review by a homicide detective uh, said the circumstances of Bailey's death uh, were self-inflicted asphyxiation. Uh, Aunt was not there. He was at a party in the city, for the record. Not there, Aunt. We got it. Yep. So this one little strange thing that kind of people say might be a clue as to what happened to her, I just kind of want to include this. Uh, shortly before her death, Bailey had reported a sexual assault that happened uh, at a hotel. Um, a man, not Aunt, arrived at Bailey's house late one night and walked around the back of the house looking for her. And her brother uh, sees this because he was up late partying with some of his friends. And uh, none of them recognized this guy, but Bailey seemed to go with him very willingly. She got into his car. Um, the next day, uh, her younger sister gets a phone call from Aunt. Uh, he tells her that uh, her sister had sent him a very disturbing text message and was clearly upset. Bailey later called her sister and told her about this alleged sexual assault. That happened in a hotel and her sister convinced her to report it to the police. A detective was assigned to investigate, but she withdrew it and refused to press charges. Um, there's no suggestion that aunt was involved in this incident. And Bailey told her family. She didn't even want him to know about it. So she, she didn't, she didn't want to she tell didn't him give a reason why she, not didn't. that we know of again, this only happened in 2018. We don't know a whole lot about her after her death. Uh, her mother called aunt who she had never met and told him what happened. And he expressed his sympathy and added that he had been trying to help her blossom. Uh, I, (laughs) You know, vomit.
0: (laughs) So disturbing. Yeah.
1: The whole thing is disturbing. Okay. Neither parent had ever met aunt before. And they say that Bailey like kept her relationship with him very private. Aunt said in his statements to police that he did not consider himself to be in a serious relationship with Bailey But Bailey had described him as her boyfriend to her mother. Yeah. And uh, Detective Rowe, he noted that, it says, quote, noted it was evident from the material in her phone records that the two had had a personal relationship, which included frequent communications and at least two trips away together. Wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, Aunt did not attend her memorial service. What is... Why wouldn't you go to that? I mean. Don't know. Um, Similarly to Phoebe, uh, Bailey often dated older men. Uh, she was beautiful, had self-esteem issues, difficulty coping with alcohol. Both of them were said to be a lot of fun, could light up a room, were treasured by their friends. They both cared deeply for animals and had a sensitive side and often expressed themselves in personal diaries. So they were similar to each other in a lot of ways. Uh, and it's just very mysterious. Yeah. And that's all we know about her. And and Phoebe, everything is kind of still up in the air, and that's Phoebe Hansjack and Bailey Snyder. Are they still investigating Phoebe? Uh, no. Uh, after the coroner's report, I, I not not really that I know of her. Her case is kind of considered shut, as far as I know. I think the family is still advocating to have it investigated, but I don't think it's going very well from everything that I've heard. Right. Bailey's case is still open. Okay. Okay. Um, as far as I as far as I can tell, I think it got reopened or something like that. I don't I don't really know. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Oh, that's just crazy. I feel like we could probably say a lot. That would probably- Get us in trouble. Yeah. (laughs) For the
1: record, I'm not saying he did it. I'm just saying it looks really bad for him. Because on one hand, I mean, it looks really suspicious, okay? If, I mean, assuming that he's not guilty, he is the unluckiest son of a bitch. I agree.
0: (laughs) Yeah, like, that sucks, dude, but-
1: Assuming he had nothing to do with it. Not if, but like we're saying he had nothing to do with it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I- if that's the case i feel bad for him like that's yeah. gotta be horrible
0: i mean maybe somebody else broke in i mean you can't really break into phoebe's place but i don't know i don't know maybe bailey was a suicide i mean if she had been sexually assaulted then i don't maybe, know maybe
1: i mean he maybe he just has a husband. thing for girls that are troubled and it just kind of ended up that way could be yeah So this is evidence of monsters. We hope you, you know, enjoyed it as much as you possibly can. Yeah, (laughs) I know it was a lot. It was a lot of information. I tried to put as much of it in there as I could. This is probably going to be longer than I intended it to be. But I put in whatever I thought was relevant.
0: Yeah, I learned a lot because I definitely didn't know at least 95% of that.
1: <laughs> I didn't know um, a lot of it either. Cause I thought Because I had listened to so many different stories about this. I had never listened to the Phoebe's Fall podcast. Mm-hmm. And I'm really glad that I did. Because everything I had heard about it, I was like, oh, I never heard that in anything else that I read. Why would that be right? But then when I listened to it, it's because it's coming directly from people that she knows. Right, that's you know? right. And I find that really interesting. Yeah. I liked it. I liked it a lot. And it's not really all that long. I say there was like eight episodes, but I think a couple of them were only like a couple minutes long because it's like they just kind of wanted to throw in extra information, so they made these into different episodes. So yeah. I think it's probably only like like four full episodes. Yeah, that's not really good. I liked it a lot. And then the Phoebe Handjack website—they post like updates on there. That hasn't been an update in a while, but if you if you look at that, you can probably catch updates if they make one. And then the sixty Minutes Australia—I suggest you watch that and then listen to the podcast. And then you can find the coroner's report and the assistant coroner's report online. And then I'll also post um, the articles that I got for, for the Bailey Schneider stuff, too. I'll put all of that in the notes. And I'm going to post some pictures on our Instagram of both of them. And um, so you should follow us on our Instagram, which is Evidence of Monsters. And what's our Twitter?
0: I forget. Evidence of Monst. So M-O-N-S-T. Right. Because would oh. it wouldn't oh. fit.
1: Yeah. Right? <laughs> it wouldn't fit. I <laughs> forget. I made it. How did I forget? We'll what it made it. I know. You know <laughs> And then we also have an uh, email, monsters at yahoo.com. Send us an email. Give us some ideas of cases that you want to hear about. We'll be glad yeah. to do it. Okay. So thanks for listening. Uh, should we do a mom moment? Because that was a lot. Let's do it. Bye. Bye. What are oh. you talking about, buddy? Blippi off. Blippi's off.
0: Yeah. Blippi's off, mom. Unacceptable.
1: Oh, my God. Okay. Hold on. I got to put my
0: mic down okay bye-bye 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 ready set go it didn't work it <laughs> was my kids either usually it'll make them run down the hall i did not